Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. morning we're going to be in Isaiah 25 and last Sunday we had some new people and we talked about judgment but it's just where we are in the scripture if you go to a Bible believing church we just go through the scripture systematically and whatever it is we cover we don't we're not the type of church that skips around to our favorite parts but it was great seeing people come back after coming and hearing about judgment for the first time but this is basically a, a global judgment the title was inevitable judgment and this morning, uh, more of an enjoyable topic, it's titled Praise in the Millennial Kingdom. And so I'll set the scene for you uh, on earth in the future from now, according to the scripture, and you can see everything starting to line up, there will be a seven-year tribulation period. Uh, it's going to be a very difficult time. The last three and a half years are considered the great tribulation. There's going to be cataclysms and earthquakes and the groaning pains of the creation that was subjected to sin is finally going to run its course. God desires to make a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, even though God came down the first time as the Son to redeem us spiritually, He's going to come back again to fix everything in the natural world. No more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. Really great scene. But where we are in the Scripture is a future from here, and the wars have ceased the cataclysms have stopped. Uh, the Lord has come down in the second coming, okay? And everything, the dust starts to settle. I can almost picture it if it was a movie where people are just kind of bewildered. They're wondering, they're reflecting, and their ears are still ringing from the noise that had just taken place. So Jesus Christ will return a second time as he did the first time, and he will reign and rule from Jerusalem, which is going to be an awesome thing. And the people are, the inhabitants of the earth are still trying to find their way, trying to understand what's going on, but they look to the Lord Jesus as he is the king, and uh, it's an interesting time. So there's a lot of reflection. We're going to look at this at seven parts. Verse 1, chapter 25, it says, O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things. Your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. For you have made a city a ruin, a fortified city a ruin, a palace of foreigners to be a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, the strong people will glorify you. The city of the terrible nations will fear you. For you have been a strength to the poor. Look at the dichotomy between the prideful, the arrogant, the power brokers, and those that really need the help. See how the Lord deals with them differently. For you have been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. For the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. You will reduce the noise of aliens as heat in a dry place. So as heat in the shadow of a cloud, the song of the terrible ones will be diminished. So one out of seven is praising God for who he is and for what he's done. So again, the dust settles, the earth is... Starting, everything's starting to calm down, um, reflection. It's also a time of peace and a time of justice, right? 
I will exalt you and praise your name. This is a free will act of praise and worship. If you ever actually read Psalm 150, it's a short psalm, but it's so cool. It just talks about praising God in all these different situations. Maybe that could be the homework today after service. Psalm 150, only a few verses, but we, we praise the Lord because we love Him and because of His character and because of He's good and because He is our source. So we want to praise. You know, the, the worship team, the praise team, puts us in a frame of mind where we can receive the Word, where we put out the distractions of the week, upcoming projects, hopefully, and we just settle on the Lord, right? That's what we come together for, to worship together. You have done wonderful things. Reflection then, and we can reflect now. This morning, any morning that we're alive and we wake up, there's things that we can reflect on, right? He's done wonderful things. Your counsels of old are faithfulness and true. Everything in God's word will steer us in the right direction. It's just a matter of whether we will follow it or not. Everything in here is good. You know, this is our guidebook. This is our manual. But do we follow it? Do we desire to? Verse 2, the theme of ruining cities. uh, Very interesting concept, but go back into the ancient world, and today we see more of nations, and is it maybe a capital city? But in the old days, especially the Babylonian kingdom, Babylon, the city of Babylon, pretty much controlled everything. Actually, we're becoming a a nation where Washington, D.C., unfortunately, is controlling everything. So maybe we're not far behind, but the old city-states, and if the city-state was wicked, what would happen was it would just cast that pallor over everything else in the nation and in the area, especially if they were a dominant power. So God had the ability to take them down from their power their prestige and their prominence as they moved away from God, right? Verses 4 and 5, He is a refuge from the storm, a shade from heat, strength to the needy. These are powerful metaphors. And that's why God uses these metaphors. And Jesus uses powerful metaphors in the New Testament. But this is a picture of protection. When the great tribulation ends and the second coming of Christ takes place, those who are left, the Israelites, they're preserved. The tribulation saints, no more persecution. So you almost have to put yourself in their shoes seeing this, and how can you not praise God in this time? You know, it's, it's, it's a complete turning of the page. It, we're going from a funeral to a wedding, right, in, in a snap of a finger. Continue on, verse 6. And in this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of well-refined wines on the lees. He will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of His people He will take away from the earth, for the Lord has spoken. So some of these things I had to go into uh, my lexicon, the Hebrew because a lot of this is written, you know, the Israelites had this idea that they would often praise God to music. I talked about that. So even in their lauding Him and their excitement for Him and in their praise, it would be set to music and it would be sung, sort of. Um, very interesting, very different culture, but, but, but fun. So two out of seven is the Lord's utopia, right? God's utopia versus man's humanistic utopia, which we see on the planet now. It never works, 
thousands of years of mankind ruling, doesn't matter. Monarchs, representative government, man's utopia is going to look very different than God's utopia. But verse 6, a great feast. Food is involved. Makes me happy. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of bad stuff on TV and a lot of garbage, so I don't really watch TV a lot, but a lot of nights my wife will just kind of kick back and watch Chopped. Who watches that on the Food Network? <laughs> a lot of you, right? I tell my wife, you could cook like that. You should go on that show. She's pretty good. But food is the center of it. I love it. Uh, no heart disease, no diabetes. Uh, that stuff's all gone. I don't know how he's going to do it, but he will. Verse 7 through 8, abolition of evil, death, and deception. Turn with me to Revelation 21, 3 through 4. Well, I'll start with two. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. We're going to talk about that, talking about cities rising and falling. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, and there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. You know how personal that is? Imagine God's big hand, and you're crying, and he just takes his hand, and he just gently takes that tear away. And there's, it's, also, it's also symbolic, you know, because crying comes with pain. It comes with sorrow. It comes with you know, somebody passed away. It's a horrible thing. So God's going to be like, hey, there's no crying in my kingdom. I'll make sure everything's done really well so this doesn't happen. I love it. Um, I, I remember, you know, with Billy Graham, they talked about his last interview, and he was already well into his 90s. And they asked Billy Graham, uh, are you afraid of death? And he didn't miss a beat. He said, no, I look forward to death. I look forward to seeing my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I look forward to, and, and this was his response. I mean, I don't, listen, I'm, at, I'm 50 and I'm, I'm noticing that I'm not 25 anymore. Things are happening in my body I'm not pleased with. But, uh, could you imagine, you know, in your 90s, he, he probably was, was tired. He was frail. You know, the loss of eyesight, the loss of hearing. He just wanted to be with Jesus. But he was so sure that when his heart stopped beating, that he would be stepping into eternity. So this is really neat stuff. But that goodness that we see when we go to be with our Lord in the future, it's going to come here. There's going to be no separation between us and God. I love reading this. There's actually a book called Heaven, written by Randy Alcorn. Very interesting. I've loaned it out. Uh, and just to kind of put all the pieces of Revelation and the Bible and the prophets together, just to kind of get a picture of what it's going to look like. Uh, so I'm excited for it. He also spoke about this covering or this veil that's removed. And the veil is really a deception. The Apostle Paul spoke about this in 2 Corinthians 3, when the Jewish Messiah came, and the church, early church was really Jewish for the most part. Gentiles came in kind of afterwards. But uh, there was a lot of Jewish people that didn't believe. And the Apostle Paul, being a rabbi himself, spoke about the deception, the veil that was, was blinding them from seeing the truth. 2 Corinthians 3.14, he said, The veil is taken away in Christ. Now, there's another picture of deception. If we look at, turn to 2 Corinthians 4, 3-4, a general deception. Yes, we spoke about the Israelites, but there's a deception taking place right now on this planet. 
right? To move us away from the belief in God. And some of these movies, I got to tell you, that Hollywood makes, they're all turning to aliens these days. Every movie you see, um, you know, they don't really show it in the trailers, but when you're in the movie theater, it's, there's a lot of alien themes. You know, it's away from God. Uh, there's a movie, Annihilation, and the cinematography and the colors, and I hate to say it, one sick person's mind who writes a script and gets a bunch of people with all the cinematronics and that stuff and actors and actresses and get together and you could see this thing and people weak in their faith might think, well, but, but maybe, and that's the plan. The plan is to pull us away from a belief in Jesus. Now we're talking about, because evolution's losing steam. You know, it's, it's been really debunked uh, so many times over. Uh, so we have to go with something else, a panspermia, uh, you know, little green men from another planet seeding this planet. Well, green men is kind of weird, so now they're, they're so much more advanced than us. They're so much higher than us. And this is where Hollywood is going with this alien theme. You know, I, I worked with a guy, and I still talk to him, and he, he sends me these texts about aliens. I'm like, bro, come on. You know, so we, we have these discussions. So 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3 the Apostle Paul says, but even if our gospel, the life-giving, the life-saving gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds, the God of this age, who is Satan, who has a lot of control here in his demons, has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. People, some people like to be deceived because, hey, it feels good right now. This works for me. Where my life is going, oh, this whole God thing... I might have to change some things. I don't know that I want to hear it. So a lot of the deception is willingness. And many of you, um, as, as, as I, have received Christ, and the Lord does draw us, you know? So that, that veil can be removed. But here, all the deception that you see on the news, that you see coming out, all the bombardment, the information, it's all going to be wiped away in the Lord's kingdom. I love that. Everything's going to be truth, right? When, when the Lord Jesus has his press conferences, Everything that, that says, you, he says you can take it to the bank, so to speak. Verse 8, it says, He removes the rebuke of his people. Well, in the great tribulation, the Israelites were heavily persecuted, as were the tribulation saints. And I say as were, we're talking about the future. Um, today, the persecuted church. You know, Americans have the freedom right now to worship. A lot of our brothers and sisters and a lot of the nations do not. And, and uh, you know, again, if you're new to the Scripture especially the prophetic works, this is what's called diachronism. You know, it's a big word for when God speaks, he'll speak about the current situation, he'll speak about the near future, and then he'll speak about the very far future. So it's really cool because Isaiah is like, he's hitting one out of the park, you know, way over the fence. He's talking to the Israelites at the time, he's speaking about their future with these dynasties that are rising and falling, and then he overshoots 2018 where we are, and he's speaking about things that are going to happen in our future. And we can see the handwriting on the wall. It's all starting to line up. Uh, verse 9. The excitement as the believers rejoice, finally being out of this great tribulation. And they've been waiting on God's timing. They've been praying. But that prophetic calendar has run its course. And now the Lord Jesus has returned. A moment that every believer has been waiting for. And uh, things start to change in this millennial kingdom, this thousand-year reign. Pretty neat stuff. And you know what? Some of us are praying, praying on God's timing. You know, some of you right now are praying on something. Could be a healing. It could be, 
a loved one that you're watching struggle. It could be a personal struggle, you know, and just keep praying. Don't lose heart, you know. Just keep taking those petitions to the Lord. Verse 10. For on this mountain the hand of the Lord will rest, and Moab will be trampled down under him as straw is trampled down for the refuse heap. And he will spread out his hands in their midst as he who swims spreads out his hands to swim. And he will bring down their pride together with the trickery of their hands. The fortress of the high fort of your walls he will bring down, lay low, and bring to the ground down to the dust. So three out of seven is the Lord He's resolving outstanding issues with hostile nations. Moab, we talked about Moab. We talked about in the, in the former chapters. Uh, we talked about this area of Jordan. But Moab really was a picture of any nation or person that was an obstructionist to God's ways. Uh, the Moabites, not only did they try to attack God's people, they tried to deceive them, they tried to lead them into sin. So, you know, today we're like, who are the Moabites? But it's just really a symbol of any situation, any um, conglomerate that's set up and poised against God. Was it Psalm 2 uh, about the nation's rage against the Lord? And he, he holds them in derision. He laughs. It's, are you kidding me? I mean, this is God. So he's going to right all these wrongs as we will see. Um, chapter 26, 1 through 6, it says, In that day this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation which keeps the truth may enter in. You will keep him in perfect peace. This is personal. Whose mind is stayed on you because he or she trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For in Yah or God, the Lord is everlasting strength. For he brings down those who dwell on high, the lofty city, he lays it low, he lays it to the ground. See this dichotomy, this contrast. He brings it down to the dust, the foot shall tread it down, the feet of the poor and the steps of the needy. Four out of seven is this song in the millennial kingdom, right? This song, Um, you know, there's there's a, a global conflagration, global war, subdued, the Lord has returned. So we see this continued contrast between uh, cities of man, utopias of man, and utopia of the Lord. I was talking to, I was getting my taxes done. Those were always fun. And uh, one of the associates is a, an older lady, and she's, uh, she's from a denomination. And it was really cool because we kind of got on the subject, and I, was told her, I told her I was going through Isaiah, and it was really neat because she had a lot of questions. She goes, well, will I still be working? You know, what's it going to be like? And it was really cool because we got deep into the millennial kingdom. So she helped me with my taxes, and I helped her with eschatology. You know what I'm saying? It works. But uh, I just had fun uh, just discussing it with her, and, and people have questions. Listen, I don't have all the answers, but I can tell you that there's some things that I know that won't be here. Crooked politicians, overburdening taxes, New Jerseyans enjoy, it's coming. So, you know, saying you like that. Uh, verse 21, also the new Jerusalem, an eternal and perfect city. God actually creates this, this three-dimensional cubicle city that's like from here to Florida in length, width, and depth. If you read the book of Revelation, it's fascinating. And there's an, an idea that we will be able to not just traverse you know, horizontally, 
but we'll be able to go up and down, you know, and this city holds so many people and God actually creates it and then sends it down on the earth, kind of drops it down. Um, I don't think Amazon could, uh, it's too heavy for them. So God just, he does what he needs to do. Fascinating things. Verses 5 through 6 pertains to the cities of mankind. Right? And I'm just going to use myself in, as an example. I didn't know the Lord. I went to college. I went to college in New Brunswick. And New Brunswick had, you know, some of these cities, it's like the city that never sleeps, the slogans. There's such a, a nightlife. So I'm, I'm a young man in my 20s, and I don't know what it's like now, but New Brunswick had all these clubs. We would go clubbing until 2 and 3 in the morning, and, you know, the partying and this. Listen, I was into some bad things, you know. Uh, but I couldn't get enough of it. I couldn't wait till the next. My grades uh, reflected that a lot of the times. I really have to, you know, my father wouldn't get really happy with me. But it, there was a desire for that city of man, that nightlife, that that scene. And no matter how much I got of it, no matter how many times I went to these clubs, um, I just I just never satisfied me. And this this went on for years. I have to say, I'm really glad there were no camera phones back then or social media. So <laughs> I escaped that one. <laughs> I can talk to you about it, but there's no pictures. Well, it's, uh, you know, I don't have a whole lot of rhythm. But <laughs> so we continue on. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've talked to young prodigals and I basically give them the, the talk. I say, listen, you're, you're trying to get back. You're trying to get into the dumpster that I crawled out of. I said, I know what you're doing. I've been there, done that, and um, it's not going to satisfy you. It's only the Lord that satisfies. I, I put that aside to walk forward with the Lord because now He satisfies me. I don't need any of that stuff anymore. But we continue on. Uh, sandwiched in is verses 3 and 4, and I love this. There's a, this is a personal promise to us today. God will keep us in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon Him because we trust in Him. Trust in Him forever. Now, the Lord is everlasting strength. Now, this is a really great par- parallel, but from a different angle with Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all your ways and He will direct your paths. Now, so I did a little fun with Hebrew, uh, hard subject, but the word for lean in Proverbs 3 is the same word for stayed here. So in other words, so in other words, if you take them both together, we're not to lean or to stay on our own ideas, right? But we are to lean and stay on the Lord. So in other words, our focus is God-focused. And, and I like to say we look at everything in life when we're trusting in the Lord with God-colored glasses. You know, it's like some of those movies. You put on these special glasses and you see things very different. When you put on your Lord-colored glasses... Things are different. So raising a family, making big life decisions, you know, spending a lot of money, a lot of these things are filtered through, if, if we'll trust them in all of our ways, what does the Lord say? What is the Lord's plan for my life? What has the Lord, Lord showed me? What does the Scripture say? Right? Um, and unfortunately, and, and this is where things don't really work well, is James speaks about the double-minded man who is half in the world and half in Christianity. He says, you're unstable in all your ways. Male, female, doesn't matter. Um, and when we, when we kind of straddle between the Lord and the world and we keep doing that, and there's a tragedy, people are so deceived by their own behavior that they tend to blame God for their situations because they're not prepared. They're not spiritually prepared. 
So we have to look at these things. Continuing on, verse 7, it says, The way of the just is uprightness. Oh, most upright. The way, or you weigh the path of the just. Yes, in the way of your judgments, O Lord, we have waited for you. The desire of our soul is for your name and for the remembrance of you. With my soul I have desired you in the night. Yes, by my spirit within me I will seek you early. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Let grace be shown to the wicked, yet he will not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness he will deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. Lord, when your hand is lifted up, they will not see, but they will see and be ashamed for their envy of people. Yes, the fire of your enemies shall devour them. Again, I, when, when you look at some of this poetic language, I do a lot of research. Um, I, like I said, I go into the original language. And, and then I have to go into really colloquialisms. You know, what were their sayings? Some of the sayings that we say, they would say, huh, what are you talking about? They'd look puzzled. Well, we look puzzled too. So we have to kind of put these things together. So five is the way of the upright or the just contrasted with the way of the wicked. This is a little, I call it Proverbs-esque. has a little Proverbs flair to it. How are we upright or how are we just? Here's the catch and here's the trap. Some people in the realm of Christendom think that it's by their own doing. Therefore, they become prideful. They look down on other people, other churchgoers, new people coming into the church, people in the world. They become very judgmental and critical. When we have the right perspective, it doesn't make us like that. So what is the right perspective? How are we justified, right? How are we clean when God looks at us? Not by anything that we did, by trusting in Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. So he took our filth, our mire, our stain of sin on the cross when he died. So when God sees us, he sees a transfer of identities, so to speak. We took Christ's identity, his perfect identity. Right? God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Who did it? Me? No. He did it. He did it. He paid the price. Very, very important. Verse 9, the last part in this little piece here is, he says, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Remember, we're going different time periods. Um, this is what God does in his words, and maybe it helps you understand better. He zooms in, and then he zooms out. You know, macrocosmic, microcosmic. So in nine, in the millennial kingdom, the Lord comes back. All the crooked politicians are gone. The Lord is the federal head over all, all the earth, and his headquarters are in Jerusalem. This is a future occurrence. So the world starts to learn from him. Of course, the Lord's going to teach us. The Lord's going to love us. The Lord's probably going to be doing miracles in this time. People are going to be getting saved in this time. Very exciting. Directly from the Lord, as if it happened in the first century, but with more power, more gusto. So, and, and permanent. Right? He's not going to be crucified again. Only did that once so that we could have eternal life. But in verse 9, the inhabitants will learn his righteousness. They will learn from him. They will turn to him. They will be saved in this period of time. Um, verse 10, I love this. It says, let grace be shown to the wicked. This is profound, but if you read the rest of it, in this period of time, it's kind of sad. A lot of the wicked are not going to change. Show grace to the wicked. Right? The Lord does these things, but he still gives them their free will. And some in this period still will not repent. 
So there'll be a mixture. There'll be redeemed Christians. There'll be tribulation saints. We'll have glorified bodies, 1 Corinthians 15. But there will still be inhabitants of the earth that there's going to be one last rebellion, believe it or not, with the Lord ruling righteously. So again, political, um, you know, well, we just have to make everyone's environment perfect. Well, that happened in the Garden of Eden. How'd that work out? It's going to happen in the millennial kingdom, but people will still have the ability to choose wickedness over righteousness. So many of these folks, no matter what God does, whatever Christ does, it's not going to change their hearts as it did in the first century, but many will be saved. Let grace be shown to the wicked. You know, uh, I did cover this Wednesday, and I think that it's such a powerful image that I wanted to repeat it. Just look at the unsaved world. Just look at those that, you know, people go on the news and they say, oh, God is just a fairy tale. And I don't get angry at people like that. I, I want to debate them. I yell at the TV, but they don't talk back to me. So I was like, what are you? you know, so I like to debate, uh, but I don't want anything bad to happen to them. I actually want them to get saved. When I think about the world-renowned physicist Stephen Hawking, uh, he, was, he was disabled. Uh, he had to talk through a computer. He had to, people had to write his notes for him. He was f- severely disabled. And I can tell you something. These physicists, if you ever watch them debate each other, they're nasty. They had no concern that he was disabled. Other physicists, they, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. Your theory is, is foolish. My theory is better. And this is it's the war of the physicists. But the man in his life did say that he, you know, that God wasn't real. He tried to argue away God. And I think what saddens me is, and my wife and I had this discussion the morning that I found out, and we have a lot of conversations. I said, my heart grieves for the man. I hope that in his last moment he repented because he lived a a less than an ideal life on the planet because of what he suffered. He's going to definitely live a less than ideal eternity if he didn't repent. So Stephen Hawking's, a lot of these so-called sciences, with a lot of theories, a lot of them don't pan out. When they step into eternity, they know the truth. And it's sad, you know. Verse 12, we continue. Lord, you will establish peace for us. You have also done all our works in us. O Lord, our God, other masters besides you. Now, this is from the perspective of the Israelites, right? Other masters besides you have had dominion over us. Israel was conquered and then conquered and then conquered. Even in 1948, she became a nation. And there were so many wars, uh, people lining up to destroy. It took a while to get biblical Jerusalem back. So they've had dominion over us. But you, but by you, only we make mention of your name. They are dead. They will not live. They are deceased. They will not rise. Therefore, you have punished and destroyed them and made all their memory to perish. You have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation. You are glorified. You have expanded all the borders of the land. Lord, in trouble they have visited you. They poured out a prayer when your chastening was upon them as a woman with child. Now this, again, is a picture of Israel as a woman with child. Is in pain and cries out in her pangs. When she draws near the time of her delivery, so have we been in your sight, O Lord. We have been with child. We have been in pain. We have, as it were, brought forth or we delivered wind. A child should be born, but the wind is a picture of nothingness. Nothing happened. So there's this pregnancy, figuratively, the time of birth, there's no baby, right? We have been with child, we have been in pain, 
We have, as it were, brought forth wind. We have not accomplished any deliverance in the earth, nor have the inhabitants of the world fallen. You know, when we read scripture like this, we can say, well, that's for the Israelites. But we should also be convicted as believers, as Christians. Because six out of seven is, this is a confession, a national confession of missed opportunities. You know, God has blessed everyone here, if you're a believer, with a spiritual gift. He does intend us to use them. You know, we can sit back on Facebook and wonder why the world is such a mess. Or we could be part of the solution. You know, I'm, I'm seeing some articles and there's so much vitriol and there's so much emotionalism with the, with the school shootings as there should be. And everybody's throwing different things around. It was it one teacher that said, instead of walking out of school, how many of you actually talk to the kid who's a loner instead of making fun of them? The kid sitting by himself in the cafeteria. Listen, I remember high school. I was tall, skinny, and kind of dorky. So I, I kind of remember some of that. Um, and, you know, th- that nobody wants to friend them, that they're being picked on, they're being bullied. And then you wonder, they become isolated. They find bad people that reaffirms their angry thoughts, and this is what happens, right? They, they, be, they transform into the negative and have vitriol against fellow classmates. And trust me, I'm not, listen, I was a cop for 25 years. I'm not taking personal responsibility out of the picture. But as Christians, what are we doing instead of complaining? What do we do in our daily, oh, I'm just busy. You don't understand. I'm going to school or I'm working. I'm working overtime. I'm saving for this. I'm busy too, but I still take time out of my day to, I don't want to miss opportunities. You know, folks, I mean, this is something, listen, Israel said this, but we need to look at this too. If every Christian on the planet did something in some small way and exercised their spiritual gifts, how different would the world look? How different would our communities look? Missed opportunities. It's sad. Israel was given a lot. A lot of privilege, land, um, possibilities. And in a lot of ways, she failed to spread monotheism and the truth to the other nations. Instead, she sometimes accepted the spiritual darkness of the surrounding nations and brought their idols into her land. So it's an amazing thing. When you are standing face-to-face with God, your outlook changes. We say a lot of things. We complain. We do this. We do that. But you know what? When a believer is faced with the gospel and they come up here to receive Jesus, they change. They repeat after me. Dear Lord, you know, I know I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And they all say it. I said it too. Because when you're faced with the the glory of God and the beauty of what Christ did in His love for us, the closer you get to God, the more you look at yourself and you say, yeah, I I do fall short. Lord, change me. Change my heart. So this is a, a confession of missed opportunities. You know? But that's where we're at. Verse 19, we continue. Last few verses says, your dead shall live. You see, isn't it amazing how even in the prophetic books, when God wants to convict us and make us think, he also gives us a message of hope. There's always, if there was a proverbial silver lining, it's all throughout the scripture, especially in the hardest things to hear. There is a silver lining. Your dead shall live. Together with my dead body, they shall arise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in the dust. For your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. She's going to give up the dead. Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself as it were for a little moment. Now, it's changing. 
time periods changing. Until the indignation of the tribulation is passed. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. Powerful picture, isn't it? This is resurrection seven, resurrection and refuge, a promise of hope for the future. Verse 19, bodily resurrection. You can, if you're new to the Bible, in the Old Testament, there was resurrections. In the New Testament, there was resurrections. Right? When the time that Jesus died and rose, in that time, um, many came out of the graves in Jerusalem. Um, the Bible tells us about a time where the Lord will call up all believers, and uh, they'll, they'll all be called up to Him, and they'll be reunited with, with a new perfect body. They'll, it's it's going to be an incredible time. This is all in 1 Corinthians 15. No more disease, no more pain, no more surgeries, no more body shaming, no more any of this stuff. No more getting down on ourselves, no more frustration because your mind wants to do something, your body's not keeping up. But, you know, this is, a, this is an incredible time. Revelation 24, 20, verse 4 through 6, and 1 Thessalonians four 13. I'll read Revelation 20, verse 4. It speaks about the first resurrection of the dead. It says, And I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus for the word of God. It's going to get ugly. And, you know, it's, we, you know, it's amazing. It's 20-something years ago I became a Christian. I'm like, what's this beheading stuff? They did that in the dark ages. Well, beheading's making a comeback. I'm not being funny. Um, you just crossed it. Actually, people have been beheaded in this country, but the media suppresses it. Um, you know, so you're an infidel. That's the way it says. I read the Quran. Um, you know, the guillotine was a form of beheading as well. But it says, and I saw those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, the Antichrist coming in the future. He had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. For the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. That's the resurrection of the just. Over such the second death, spiritual death, has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, direct relationship, and they shall reign with him a thousand years. The second resurrection is the resurrection of those who are in rebellion against God, who have rejected his way of salvation, They're resurrected to the great white throne judgment. They're sentenced and then incarcerated, so spiritually. Not a pretty picture. But the Lord moves from this beautiful picture of resurrection to giving comfort to those that are still, we're changing time periods. So we're we're out of the great tribulation. Jesus is there. He's reigning for a thousand years. Then he kind of brings it backwards in time to say to those that are going through it, because see this book? If you ever look at the Left Behind series or any of these movies, when those are left behind and they've been witnessed to and you've talked to and your loved ones and they've rejected, rejected, when the Lord calls the believers to remove them, the Bible will still be there. And you know how many people are going to be pouring through Scripture saying, oh my goodness, what am I going to do now? My, my wife is gone, my husband, they told me this day would come and they're going to start reading the Scripture. So there's an instruction manual for those that are going through the seven-year period of the tribulation. Um, this, this is heavy. If you're new to the scripture, please, you know, email me, talk to me afterwards, 
send me a smoke signal. Um, basically, it's tough to get through, but it's extremely intricate, right? Revelation 6, the Lord God says to the, those that, the believers who are on earth during the tribulation have been, have been murdered, and they go to be with him, the soul's under the altar, and the Lord says, just wait a little while longer. It's all, that period is almost done. After that, everything's going to be perfect. So there's birth pangs today. We see geopolitics. We see horrible things going on. I talked about this last Sunday. God is not going to allow human history to continue self-rule before he interjects himself again and says, enough. This has got to stop. And I, I made my case for some of the horrible crimes and trends what people do to each other today, um, and God's just like, he's just not going to let this go on forever. He's got to stop it at some point. The amazing thing is that we are moving again to a collision course with the living God, our planet. It's been 2,000 years of, of grace. Christ died for our sins. He's merciful. He's long-suffering. I don't know when it's going to be. I don't set dates. The Bible says not to, but at some point, the Lord's going to come again as he did the first time, because if you remember, if you say, gee, I've never heard this in the church I used to went to. It's a little unsettling. But if you watch Jesus' words in the Gospels, he said he's going to return. It isn't me saying it. It's his plan, not mine. I'm just going along with what he's saying. Human race is on a collision course with the living God a second time. Okay? For his perusia, for his appearing. The humanist, the atheist, the selfish and carnal Christian can deny it all they want. They don't want to see it. They're having too much fun. But it's going to happen. And these things will come to pass as prophesied. And when it occurs, where will you be? I can say with a smile on the face because I know where I'm going to be. But you know what? Everyone here can be there. Right? It, I said this last Sunday. Nobody has to be judged. Trust the Lord. Come before Him. Give your life to him. Repent of your self-directed ways. Move in his direction. You know, um, he, he wants to seal you with, your Holy, with his Holy Spirit. He wants to be there with you. He wants to guide you. So um, at the end of the day, are we going to be good stewards of the things of God, like Jesus' parable? Or are we going to be unjust stewards? Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.